Hey there, thanks for joining us here at Compass Church, where we are making God accessible to everyone. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us as a church, head over to our website, compassbn.com. We hope this inspires you and gives you practical ways to live out your faith. Enjoy the message. Well, hey, I am Chris. I'm the lead pastor at Compass, and we are in part three of our In Secret Message series. So fingers crossed, it's going to keep going well. Um, Have you ever been talking to someone and realized that they're saying something that is different than what they are actually saying? Okay, so follow me here. So for instance, take this phrase, you know who makes really good mac and cheese? Doug's wife. Okay, that's a very simple statement, right? It's direct, there's no confusion. Doug's wife makes good macaroni and cheese. But let's give it some context, okay? Picture dinner at my house. My wife, Terry, has just made macaroni and cheese and she sets it out on the table. I scoop some onto my plate and I take a bite. Now imagine that after I'm done chewing and swallowing, I look at Terry and I say, you know who makes really good mac and cheese? Doug's wife. You see, The words are the same, I mean, simple, direct, but somehow what I'm saying is different than what I'm saying. I may be saying that Doug's wife makes good mac and cheese, but what I'm really saying to my wife is that your mac and cheese is not good. Okay, so let's try another one. Let's just get in the mode, okay? Uh, Take the phrase, working out too hard really makes your muscles sore. Statement of fact, right? And I know this, I can say this because every time I work out, because any time of working out for me is working out too hard, I know that my muscles get sore. But if 16 year old me had walked into my church youth group wearing a tank top and I'd gone up to a group of girls and I'd said, man, working out too hard really makes your muscles sore. That means something completely different. I may be saying that the physical act of working out produces sore muscles. But what I'd really be saying is, check me out ladies, I'm hot, I'm buff, and I'm looking for love. See, communication seems like that it should be such a simple and straightforward thing, but it's really not. Because people tend to twist and shape how we communicate with other people in these subtle and these not so subtle ways to get an outcome that we want, to communicate something that we want to, even if it isn't what we're really saying, even if what we're saying really isn't what we're saying on the surface. And we can even do this in one of the most important ways that we communicate, when we pray. Sometimes when we talk to God, we can pray in such a way to draw attention to ourselves, like this guy. Amazing. Can I close this out in prayer real quick? Dope. Daddy God, thank you for this extravagant session that we just had. It was so life-changing. Thank you for using me as just a leader and a mentor to all the sheep here in this room, to put it lightly. Also, thank you for Jessica. She's such an amazing girl. I pray that you'd help her to see that everything that she's looking for could be found right here in me. I'm all that she needs, aside from you, obviously. Amen. You're welcome. And then sometimes when we pray, we use big fancy words and we get this weird prayer voice that we never use anywhere else. We we act like we're crying and we draw attention to how well-spoken we are when we pray. Sometimes we can even turn this into competitive prayer, like this guy. Hey guys, thanks for coming. I'll go ahead and lead us in the popcorn prayer, okay? (laughs) 
God, we come to you now and lift up Pastor John before his sermon this weekend. Lord, give him the words to speak. <laughs> Amen. God, I wanted to hop back in real quick and not only lift up Pastor John and those mentioned, but Lord, I wanted to give you the entire congregation. May they come into this church with receptive ears, Lord, and may the Holy Spirit just come in and infect this place. <laughs> Amen. Abba, Father, I am your humble servant. From dust you brought me, into dust I shall return. I pray for every human that has ever existed, ever. Lord, I pray for salvation for every spirit that has graced this planet Earth. In your name, amen. Prayer was an incredibly important part of ancient Jewish life and really very important to Jesus. You see, all religious Jews prayed at least three times every day. They prayed once in the morning, once at midday, and once at night at least. And each of these times, they would recite a prayer called the Amida, or the prayer of 18 blessings, as they called it. Now, when they prayed the Amida, they would stand and face Jerusalem. Now, and these prayers at the beginning, at the end of the day, were really simple because most people would be at home at the end and the beginning of their day. But when the midday prayer time came, people could be anywhere. And so when it was time for that prayer, a very specific time, typically like three o'clock, you would stop and you would pray wherever you were, even if it was in public. In fact, some people began looking forward to being in public during that midday prayer so they could take advantage of the attention that it gave them. Now, when I was a kid, we would play this game called Red Light, Green Light in the school gym. It's a game where the goal is to get from one end of the gym to the other as fast as you can, but you can only move when the person who's leading the game says green light. When they say red light, you have to freeze exactly as you are, and if you move, you get sent back. And anytime we played Red Light, Green Light, there was always a kid who, when red light was called, would freeze in the weirdest position. He'd be like mid-dive or sliding on his belly, standing on one leg, or making a dumb face. And, and whether he was trying to be funny or whether he was trying to look cool, he always did it to get people to look at him, to draw attention to himself during the game when everyone else was frozen and could see him. Now, we've talked about how first century Palestine was an honor culture. The more that people looked at you with honor based on your good deeds or your accomplishments or how you lived out your religion, the higher you were on the ladder of society. Honor was everything. And a lot of religious people used these public moments of the midday prayer to draw the attention of others to gain honor for their religious performance. And so just like the kid who's, you know, throwing out weird poses to get attention when everyone else had to stop during a red light, many of these religious people and religious leaders would position themselves in very public places in order to be seen when the time to freeze for midday prayers came. In addition to that, these hyper-religious honor seekers would pray long, flowery prayers that just like the video we watched earlier, these prayers were designed to draw praise from other people and even announce how great they were. And Jesus told this story uh, in which he gives us an example of how those people prayed in Luke 18, 11. Check this out. This is great. It says that the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. 
I thank you, God, that I am not like these other people, these cheaters and sinners and adulterers, and I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. Pardon the prayer voice. I'm not very good at it, but (laughs) I mean, dude, that's just crazy. That Pharisee is literally just using a prayer to make sure everyone who's listening can hear how great he is. And that's what prayer had become for a lot of the religious people of Jesus' time. It became a time to say something different than what you were really saying so that you could gain honor and prestige from other people. And Jesus had something to say about this practice. We're going to pick up in Matthew 6, 5. This is what Jesus said. He said, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. So in the In Secret Message series we're in, we have been talking about Jesus's teaching to his followers in Matthew chapter 6, beginning with the principle that followers of Jesus, we perform, we live our lives for an audience of one, for God. Prayer is the second religious practice that Jesus then uses as an example of how sometimes people can get focused on the acceptance and praise and honor of other people rather than living out their faith, seeking to honor God. And he just absolutely savages the hypocrites, these religious people who are communicating one thing with their actions, but whose motivations are completely out of whack. Because these people, they love being seen. They love being recognized as spiritual, as religious leaders. They love the attention and the affection of the people who admire their piety and their faithfulness. But look at how Jesus describes the gap between their actions and their motivations in Mark chapter 12. Jesus says this about them. He says, beware of these teachers of religious law, for they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head table at the banquets. They love the honor of people. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Jesus points out their hypocrisy every chance he can get because he does not want his followers to have even a hint of that hypocrisy in their lives, especially and particularly when it comes to prayer. And so Jesus continues what he started in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. In verse 6, he says, But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. In contrast to those who pray in such a way as to be seen or admired, when you pray, go be alone. Now, Jesus definitely prayed with other people. I mean, there are examples of this in the Gospels, but he also had a prayer practice of going away from everyone else just to pray by himself. I mean, here's a few examples of it. In Mark 1.35, it says that before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and he went out to an isolated place to pray. Mark 6.46 6 says, after telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Luke 9.18, one day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. And then again in Luke 6.12, 
One day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray and he prayed to God all night. These are just a few examples of times that Jesus went out alone to pray. Which leads to the question, why was private prayer so important to Jesus? Why wasn't it enough, just like the other religious Jews, to pray in the morning and at midday and at night with his disciples, wherever he was, like all the other good religious people did? Why did Jesus say that part of prayer should be practiced alone? Now, I think for Jesus, the reason that private prayer is so important is found in the answer to two questions. First, who's watching? And second, what do we get out of it? Now look at how Jesus finishes his statement on prayer in Matthew 6, 6. Again, he says, but when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. So our questions, who's watching and what do we get out of it? Let's ask that. I mean, who was watching the hypocrites when they prayed publicly? It was everyone around them, the people they intentionally wanted to see them. And what did they get out of it? I mean, they got the acceptance and praise of the people who saw them as holy and religious. But when we pray in private, let's ask that. I mean, who's watching? It's our Father in heaven who sees everything, who can see us even behind a closed door where no one else can. We pray for an audience of one. Well, then what do we get out of it when we pray in private? I mean, the super religious, they wanted the reward of honor from the people. But when we pray in private, at least according to Jesus, God will reward us. And while Jesus doesn't specify the reward in this section of teaching, the scriptures he read and that he taught do. Psalm 145, 18 said that the Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him in truth. I love how this psalm ends by saying all who call on him in truth. Because isn't that exactly the kind of prayer that Jesus is talking about here? Prayer where what we are saying is really what we are saying. Prayer that isn't about impressing other people with our words or with our flow or, or drawing attention to our religiosity. It's prayer that's exactly what it appears to be on the surface. People calling out to God in honesty, in transparency, in humility, with no desire to get anything out of it other than what God wills. And the true reward for us when we pray like this in truth, true prayers for an audience of one, the true reward is closeness with God because the Lord is close to all who call on him in truth. What Jesus understood and experienced in his life was that the real reward, the real purpose of prayer is not just to get what we want out of God, but to know the closeness of his presence in our lives. Check this out. The purpose of prayer is personal proximity to God. Prayer does a lot of things. And there are a lot of ways to pray. Next week, we're going to take a look at a pattern of prayer that Jesus taught his disciples and us. And prayer does allow us to see God moving in our lives by helping us and by blessing us with what we need. But the purpose, the reason we pray, the main outcome of prayer is that it draws us closer to God. 
And out of that closeness, we experience peace and joy. Out of that closeness, we begin to desire his will over our, our own. We begin to understand that his will or what his will for our lives is. But all of the benefits of prayer start with the reality that God loves you. He wants you to know him in a personal and real way and that he wants to be an active and welcome participant in your life. If I asked you, what is the purpose of marriage? I might get a bunch of different answers. I mean, teenagers would probably say the purpose of marriage is sex. People in their 20s would probably say the purpose of marriage is sex, but also maybe financial stability. Maybe people in their 30s would say that marriage creates the best environment to raise kids in. And, and, and for many people, the purpose of marriage changes as we grow. There's so many things that marriage accomplishes. But the real purpose of marriage is for people to have a close personal companion to live life with. All the other things flow out of the deep intimacy of that relationship. And without that relationship, all of those other things fall apart. And it's the same with prayer. Your heavenly father wants one thing above everything else, to have a close personal relationship with you. And all of the other rewards of following him they flow out of the deep intimacy of knowing him. And prayer is how we know him. Prayer is how we draw close to him. Not the public moments of loud prayer or the memorized bedtime or dinner prayers that we recite with each other, but the prayer that happens in the quiet moments when we're alone with God, when we're calling out to him in the truth of who we are, of what we're going through and of what we need. So this week, I would encourage you to start building into your life a habit of private, personal, daily prayer. I mean, maybe the Jewish people were onto something when they had a specific time scheduled every day to do it. Maybe you should set an alarm on your phone every day. And, and when it goes off, I mean, go into your bedroom or the bathroom or your office, just somewhere private. And then just take however long you're able to, to simply pray. If praying like this is new to you, that prayer, it might just be a minute. And that's okay. Next week, we're going to talk about how Jesus had a structure of prayer that can help us. And maybe for you, that prayer time is going to be significantly longer. But the time you're, you're praying doesn't matter. What matters is that the Lord is close to those who call on his name in truth. So let's begin building a prayer habit. Because in Jesus' words, we will see a reward in it. We'll see the reward of God's presence at work in our lives. We'll see the reward of a deeper level of closeness and intimacy with him. We'll see a relationship with God begin to develop that every other good thing that he has for us flows out of. So this week, let's build on the practice of private prayer to see what God can do in us. Thanks again for joining us today. If you want to learn more about us as a church, get connected, need prayer, or anything else at all, head over to our website, compassbn.com.